This afternoon, I'd like to explore the second foundation of mindfulness, or the second way, main way of contemplating in practice our experience. The second foundation is the mindfulness of what's called feeling tone, or Vedana, the sense of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And we'll see that something that sounds so ordinary can be an extremely powerful pivot for practice. Remembering that the first foundation is mindfulness of the body, second foundation, mindfulness of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. The third foundation is mindfulness of what we could call thoughts and emotions. And the fourth foundation, more general, I like to think of it as uh, mindfulness of broader patterns of experience. So in a sense, the first three foundations give us a sense of how to practice with constituents of experience. And then we become um, more complex in our practice and work with larger patterns, sometimes through frameworks that we're given Um, through the teachings. Sometimes uh, Vedana is translated as feeling, which is misleading. In fact, in the established translations, it's translated like that, and it's quite misleading because uh, Vedana is not about emotion. It's not about feeling the way we often use that term in English. It's more that immediate sense of pleasant, unpleasant, or or neutral. I want to do three things really this afternoon. First, I want to give some framing of why this uh, teaching on feeling tone is really important. Secondly, to talk about the nature of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral and really further talking about why we practice with it. And then lastly, give some concrete ways of practicing. We probably will then return to some of those uh, tomorrow morning in the instructions. One way that can really give a pretty clear sense of the importance of Vedana or feeling tone, the sense of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral is to see its place in one of the primary teachings of the Buddha, the teaching of dependent arising, Paticca Samuppada, which was the teaching or set of insights that the Buddha is reported to have come to on the night of his awakening. In some ways, it's a more detailed analysis of the four truths, particularly the art, really the first two truths, I should say, which are the, the um, nature and origin of suffering elaborated as 12 factors. And I'm not going to go into much detail on it, uh, but I will say that feeling tone is a crucial factor. Uh, of those 12 factors independent arising, they really break down into three groupings. The first is what we bring to experience. 
The second is what we encounter in experience or what we experience. And the third is the consequences of our experience if we're not wise. <laughs> so those are the three areas. The, what we bring to experience, what the nature of experience is most simply, and then what the consequences of experience are. Uh, are. I could hear the echoes of my high school English teacher <laughs> looking for the, the right <laughs> grammar. So, okay. Thank you, Miss Baker. <laughs> um, so what we bring to experience actually could really be uh, unpacked uh, in more depth, I think, to our, um, to our benefit. But we can talk about it in a few simple ways. And in the analysis, uh, there particularly is a focus, I think, on three areas. One is that uh, our experience, to the extent that it leads to suffering is rooted in ignorance. This is part of what we bring to experience. And ignorance is understood really as a spiritual ignorance, uh, not so much as ignorance of facts or so forth, but it could be variously interpreted as not really getting the four truths, not really understanding what leads to suffering and what leads to freedom. It could be understood as not being in touch with the deathless, with the unconditioned. Could be understood as not really being in touch with the truths of impermanence or suffering or the lack of a separate, independent, substantial self. And we'll be exploring those those teachings as we, we go on in the retreat. So it's a deep kind of ignorance that is taken to be part of what's um, there for us. There also are what we might call um, habitual energy. It might be the habitual energy that leads us to greed, hatred, or delusion. Habits that tend to make us uh, want to, I don't know, take extra cookies. <laughs> or worse. <laughs> and so a lot of what is understood in Western psychology as the unconscious really fits there. It's the habitual tendencies and dispositions we bring to experience. So these are actually taken to be the main almost uh, unconscious or semi-conscious drivers of experience, but that they're really what we all bring to experience every moment. And parts of our practice are really can be seen as helping us in the long run to work through ignorance and habitual tendencies. It's a lot of what we do. A lot of us are finding on the retreat um, more insight into habitual tendencies. You know, when we don't have any stimuli here, the habitual tendencies come out to play. <laughs> you know? And it's actually both sometimes can be a little bit, uh, what, um, depressing. You know, I came here for peace. 
understanding and love and I get my habitual tendencies, you know. But actually, um, it's a tremendous chance to, to work with them. And of course, our tools actually bring in the mindfulness, the love, the care, the, the wisdom. So they're actually getting mingled, which leads to the undermining of habitual tendencies. <laughs> so. so we bring uh, that to experience. We bring a certain ignorance, certain habitual tendencies. And then in the model, we also bring certain just really universal aspects of what it means to be human. That is, we have, um, we have our senses, we have mind and body and so forth. And in the model, that's it. We bring all that to experience. And then, given that, what do we encounter in experience? And the, again, the model's pretty simple. It's made up of four steps. And then the last grouping, again, is the consequences. So assuming that there's ignorance and certain that there's um, also the habitual tendencies, and we have the normal working uh, capacities or uh, faculties of a human being, the, the, when we, what we encounter in experience is named as four categories. First, there is contact. You know, we are awake, we're experiencing, we have our senses working, we encounter the world, and as it were, our senses meet an object, you know, or meet something in experience, uh, you know, a sight, a sound, a thought, and so forth. And that's called contact. It's neutral, it's fairly um, ordinary. It's ordinary and not really a place where we intervene with our practice. The next three steps, though, are places where we bring in practice because on the basis of contact, it's taken that every moment has a feeling tone. In other words, I touch this glass, it's taken that there's a feeling tone. My senses are in contact with this glass, there's a feeling tone. If I tune into it, it's kind of neutral, a little bit positive, a little bit pleasant. You know, or I ring the bell, get ready for contact. (laughs) And there's a feeling tone. It could be pleasant. Normally we have a very highly pleasant association with the bell. (laughs) Not always. I'll I'll get to that in a moment, but not always. But often it means... The sitting is over. And so there can be, there's a feeling tone that arises. And so uh, let's say that I'm, I'll go back to the cookies. I'm in the food line. I see a plate of cookies. There is contact with the eye. <laughs> the next step if there is ignorance, and if there are certain habitual dispositions uh, towards greed, hatred, and delusion, the next step beyond feeling tone is called craving. And conversely, it could also be uh, strong and compulsive aversion. And so there might be craving 
for that cookie, you know, and I walk through the line looking spiritually cool. <laughs> um, very matter of factly, at the last moment, I take three. <laughs> That last step is called grasping. <laughs> and again, the same sequence works where there's an unpleasant, unpleasant feeling tone, there's contact, unpleasant feeling tone, compulsive pushing away. It could be I'm sitting and I feel um, unpleasant sensations in my shoulder and I contract in some way there. And I maybe. Uh, or maybe I have the, I, even before I contract, I might have the sense of wanting to push away, an aversion, or it might say, I don't like this, or, oh, there's that, there's that shoulder again, you know, or something like that. And then I tighten, or maybe I just um, quickly shift my position to try to make it better. And those are the four steps. So contact, feeling tone, Craving, again, or the other side would be uh, pushing or wanting to push away or aversion, and then really grasping or kind of a pushing away. And then in the, in the uh, model, what comes after that are three stages. The first is called becoming. And we could say in a way, I like to think about it, that we're basically... Um, giving support to the continuation of the hab- habit. You know, so we can think of it like that. It, you know, it's, it's understood in a lot of ways, but for the sake of our practice, the, the model basically goes becoming, birth, um, getting older, and dying. It's really a code for talking about the habitual energy continues and it leads to suffering. It's basically the model. So we bring certain um, ignorance, habitual tendencies, certain basic human capacities to experience. Then there's contact, feeling tone, craving, and grasping. And then there are consequences which are taken, as in the model of the uh, two arrows, they're taken to lead to suffering. And this is actually the core of the Buddha's insight on the night of his awakening. And so you can see how crucial feeling tone is. Because the essence of the practice of working with pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral is going to be to stay with feeling tone, be mindful of it, so that it doesn't necessarily lead on to craving or grasping, or if it leads to craving, we don't act on it. We don't grasp. In other words, the whole cycle is ended at that moment. The whole cycle that leads to suffering can be ended, and this is a primary, as it were, intervention place. There is a Tibetan teacher and writer named Reginald Ray, some of you may know his work, he says the whole of the spiritual path occurs between contact and grasping. So it's quite an important teaching. 
So how to be mindful of feeling tone, how to be mindful of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. And I'll come back to saying more about different ways that a pleasant feeling tone, when we're not so mindful, can lead in the direction of suffering, can, can, can lead to reactivity. So first I wanted to say a, a few more words about mindfulness too, because we haven't, we haven't always talked so much about this uh, capacity that mindfulness is this um, very simple, basic quality of being able to attend to what we call our object of attention or the object of mindfulness and stay with it. And stay with it in a way which is non-reactive, non-judgmental, has that quality of kindness that we've talked about when we talk about, uh, when Sylvia talked about meeting the moment both fully and meeting the moment as a friend. So ultimately we're gonna want to meet feeling tone fully and meet it with a friendly attitude. And so here's something from about 1500 years ago about mindfulness. Mindfulness signifies presence of mind, attentiveness to the present. It has the characteristic of not wobbling. Buddhist technical term. It has the characteristic of not wobbling, that is not floating away from the object. Its function is absence of confusion or non-forgetfulness. And this is from from Sylvia talking about mindfulness. Mindfulness is the aware, balanced acceptance of present experience. It isn't more complicated than that. It is opening to her receiving the present moment, pleasant or unpleasant, just as it is, without either clinging to it or rejecting it. So simple in concept, hard in practice often. And it's interesting to, to see also that there actually is such a thing as wrong mindfulness. Some of you know in the um, description of the Eightfold Path, the term that's often used is right. Right this, right that, right mindfulness, you know, right understanding and so forth. And I think it's actually a bad translation because it, it's the, the word is sama, which is closer to suggesting um, maturity or completion. So I think it should be better translated as mature mindfulness. So, because right sometimes for a lot of people it connotes, it connotes the Victorian era during which these translations were made. <laughs> one, one way to say it. Okay. Um, and so there can be uh, wrong mindfulness. Wrong mindfulness would be, you know, a burglar being extremely mindful with the, um, the lock. <laughs> you know, and the the key in the uh, text to clarifying what what mature mindfulness is is that they're linked to the other parts of the path. They're they're linked to the other factors of the eightfold path. So that mindfulness is linked to ethics. Mindfulness is linked to wisdom, and so that's helpful, I think, because sometimes we think of mindfulness as just this kind of simple attention 
that's not connected to anything else. And it actually needs to be informed by wisdom. And we'll see how that comes in, in terms of understanding how to be with feeling tone. So what is the feeling tone or Vedana? Um, In the text, it is understood as happening all the time. Every moment of experience is said to have a feeling tone. And of course, we don't track that typically. Mostly we come to be aware of pleasant or unpleasant when it becomes big. And because of of not tracking feeling tone, the understanding is that pleasant feeling tone tends to lead to craving and grasping. Unpleasant feeling tone tends to lead to um, not wanting and then or aversion and then pushing away. And neutral feeling tone tends to lead to spacing out or to delusion. And so the um, invitation is to explore feeling tone. It's something that's really um, very, very simple. And it's, it's interesting that you can even check in right now, really, in your predominant experience, what's the feeling tone right now? It's somewhere on the spectrum between agony and ecstasy. <laughs> Probably in the middle somewhere, <laughs> but don't know. You know so as, as I'll explore later, one of the practices is, is to keep on checking in to feeling tone. And I'll, and I'll suggest a number of practices. So what are some examples of pleasant feeling tone? they really can be with any of the senses. You know, so we can have pleasant sights, pleasant smells, pleasant tastes, pleasant sensations in the body, um, pleasant sounds. We can have pleasant thoughts and emotions. And that each of our different experiences like that will have a feeling tone. We can also have, uh, and in the text, I won't go so much into this, in the, in the uh, text on the foundations of mindfulness, there's also a pointing towards what we might call more meditative examples of what's pleasant. And so there can be pleasant experiences which are linked with concentration, a sense of peace or a sense of bliss or a sense of calm can also be quite pleasant. There can be rapture in the body. You know, there can be sometimes the energy in the body, which can be quite uh, um, beautiful feeling. And what's interesting is that um, much of what at times is pleasant can at other times be unpleasant. And so it's very interesting when we look at Vedana, it doesn't seem to be, as it were, caused by the nature of the object. I think we can see that when we look at some areas, you know, for example, food. You know, one person really likes broccoli, another doesn't. One of the big things among the teachers at Spirit Rock are different feeling tones in relationship to tempeh. (laughs) It's one of of our topics of discussion. 
personally, I have a very pleasant feeling tone when I see tempeh, but not everyone does. And so that's interesting, isn't it? You know, so uh, it's something to explore. In fact, the same feeling tone at one moment can be pleasant and later unpleasant. I once lived in a kind of a group house and we had uh, one of the members of the house uh, was from Iraq. And she used to um, make baklava. All you can eat baklava. (laughs) First piece of baklava, pleasant feeling tone. Second piece of baklava, pleasant feeling tone. Third piece of baklava, (laughs) getting towards the neutral. (laughs) Fourth piece, very unpleasant. (laughs) It's kind of fascinating. Um, You know, so the same, the same prompting experience can really go either way. Uh, Guy Armstrong, who who taught the uh, February retreat here, is one of the teachers at Spirit Rock. He tells the story of different relationships to Montavani. The, I think the kind of music which is played sometimes in, in elevators. <laughs> and he said that his mother really likes Montavani. But then he heard a story, that's a true story, of a 7-Eleven in Southern California where there was a lot of uh, drug dealing in the parking lot. Eventually, the owners of the 7-Eleven installed a loudspeaker (laughs) (laughs) and put on Montavani. (laughs) There was no longer a problem. So all sorts of things can lead to a pleasant feeling tone and all sorts of things can um, change or be different. I mean, one of the fascinating things about studying pleasant tone carefully is we see how pleasure can turn into pain or, or pleasant can turn into unpleasant. It's quite fascinating staying with the same phenomenon where we know that sometimes Sometimes um, there can be beautiful, energetic um, presence in the body. We sometimes call it PT, sometimes call it rapture. And sometimes it can be quite pleasant. And sometimes it's quite unpleasant. It's fascinating how that can work. I know in my own experience, sometimes when the mind is very concentrated with the unpleasant, it starts to be pleasant. So there's this way sometimes that pleasure merges into pain. It's quite, quite fascinating to study. So again, the, you know, the problem isn't actually the pleasant. The presence of the pleasant is not the problem. It's what we do with it. It's that movement from contact to grasping. That's the issue. That's what's pointed out, you know, so it's not really the experience of the pleasant. I once um, was working with a small group um, and we 
were looking into feeling tone and I said something like, it's not really the pleasant that's the problem. We could um, next time just sit eating chocolate the whole session and it wouldn't be a problem. And they said, let's do it. (laughs) And we did it, you know, and people got to watch. You know, it's pretty interesting, right? It's pretty interesting, you know. So, I mean, you know, the meditation hall is a rich place for practice, but the dining hall is a very special place for practice, you know. So, so the problem is what happens with, with the pleasant. It's the reactivity. It's the wanting, it's the wanting of more pleasure, you know. It's, it's the grasping, the way sometimes, again, when we're eating, sometimes something tastes really good and we're hardly tasting it and we can feel the hand wanting more. Common experience. You know, we can, we can see that. You know, we can see how we get, how uh, a pleasant experience can lead to thinking about the future, can lead to a proliferation of thought thinking. You know, I have a you know, I have a really beautiful sitting and I start making plans for next year's two-month retreat. <laughs> you know, I have one pleasant sitting, I start thinking about that, I start thinking of quitting my job, you know, <laughs> you know going, maybe going to Asia, you know, uh, all on the basis of the feeling tone of one sitting, you know. And of course, we can do the opposite with the unpleasant feeling tone. You know, so we... We look at that. We look at the. We look at um, what happens. We look at the proliferation of thoughts, of what the mind does, of what the body does, the wanting. We study that continually. We see how we may, you know, get hooked really by the pleasant, how it becomes addictive in a certain way. And we look at that. It's also very helpful. Let's say when we have, with a pleasant experience, grasped, I think it's very helpful to actually, even if the grasping is over, I think it can be very helpful to be mindful of consequences. It's something we don't really emphasize often in practice. Let's, let's suppose that I've, um, I don't know, made a choice based on grasping. Let's say that I've overeaten. I think it's very helpful to feel what it feels like to have overeaten. Because there's something delusive when we don't do that. You know? And there's something like the dynamic with grasping after the pleasant that I described with um, the phenomenon of greed. That there's some kind of, um, uh, when we're in the midst of the grasping, we are f- frequently not aware of the consequences. We are very focused only on the desire we somehow think that this will really do wonders for me or something like that. There's some kind of thinking that this will really be of benefit, even if it's almost on an unconscious level. And it's very, very self-centered, you know, so we can see all that. And sometimes when we've acted in a way in which there's grasping, it's very helpful just to feel it. You know, and I try to do that if I've done something that seems unskillful and grasped, you know, especially sometimes if it has to do... um, you know, with the body, with eating, or something else. Really, what, is, what does it feel like when I've done that? And that can be very helpful. How to, pra- how to practice, or how to look, I should say, at the unpleasant, you know? And again, we want to remember there's a distinction 
between the unpleasant and, and um, suffering. That we were talking about the unpleasant as that first arrow. And it's the reactions that is, again, the reactions are the problem. The reactions are what we are calling suffering. And we're doing practice with the feeling tone, again, to stay with that so we don't so automatically react and go in a direction which in the long run is taken to lead to suffering. So again, there are unpleasant experiences with all the senses, with unpleasant sensations in the body, taste, smell, sound, sight, and so forth, and also thoughts and emotions. So it actually can be a very important part of practice to attend to the feeling tone with a particular thought or emotion and just see how it feels, you know? Um, And again, we have any number of, of ways to look at how the unpleasant arises, you know, that it, it arises in all sorts of ways as we're sitting. There can be unpleasant bodily feelings, you know, of different, different levels of intensity. And one of, the, one of the principles of our practice is that it's very helpful to hang out with the, particularly with the lesser types of unpleasant experiences and study them. So study uh, an itch that you have. Study, a, study the body being a little stiff at the end of a sitting, something that is not really linked with any problem in the body. One practice which we can't do here so well, which we, when I was first practicing on the East Coast at the Insight Meditation Society, there were, there were um, flies and mosquitoes. Kind of... Mosquitoes are a dance practice. But it's very, very interesting to sit there. And I haven't done this for a while, living in California. But to sit there and watch a bug or a fly crawl across one's face and lips. I I imagine unpleasant feeling tone is emerging at the moment. (laughs) You know? And just to watch, knowing that this is ultimately not a big deal, and just to study how that works in oneself. Again, mosquito is a little more advanced, I, don't know, I think because of the, the dagger. <laughs> you know. so, so to study that, to, to look at that, how that appears here in our, our practice. Start with the smaller ones. You know, you know, we can almost, sometimes we can almost see how a lot of our actions and movements are related to some unpleasant feeling in the body. You know, when do we move? Often when there's an unpleasant experience. You know, um, um, when, do we, when do we have an issue that we have to deal with? Some, you know, often it's because there's something unpleasant and it sort of calls, calls out the alert. You know, so we can study. We can study it and particularly wanting to study how the unpleasant sensation leads to reactivity. And sometimes even the thought of it, I, th- I was thinking of one example that I like, that I've come to study is, is when I go to the dentist. Um, dentist visits are very good times for Vedana practice. And I was thinking of uh, lately, 
I've, I had some, quite a lot of dental work like a month or two ago, like four visits. And each time they used one of those um, needles that were, that were like two foot long. <laughs> you know, and I could just watch my mind imagining. I mean, it's the, the unpleasant feeling tone arises just from the thought of the needle. And then I can feel myself contracting. And so lately it's just been doing the practice where I notice the unpleasant feeling tone, even thinking about it and tried not to let it proliferate and just try to stay in the present moment. And then the needle comes, just try to stay with it in the present moment. You know, so they're, 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 and see where, you know, and see where the proliferation occurs. So there are ways that we can practice like that. There are ways that we can stay with the sensation. The invitation is really to come to the, uh, come to the direct experience. What's very, very interesting is that you may have found this, but that actually that the fear of pain, the fear of the unpleasant really binds us. You know, whether it's a, f- a fear of unpleasant emotions or of unpleasant physical sensations, and that when we're willing to actually face the unpleasant, there can be partly a tremendous relief. And sometimes we can realize that we've been carried away by fear for decades. And what I have found is that in the long run, being willing to face something difficult something unpleasant. And I think I'm especially talking of our own personal um, areas of difficulty or even sometimes wounds or the, the states of mind and heart that we find um, difficult. And I, I have found that when I'm actually willing to directly face them, they're sometimes far less scary than I thought they, they were. There's a children's book which expresses this. It's called The Monster Who Grew Smaller. And the monster was fear. And as one gets closer to it, it grows smaller. I'll tell, I'll tell one personal story. I was once on retreat at um, uh, Gaia House in England. It was a three-month retreat. And at one point, I decided to go into more uh, seclusion. I was. I had a little, small little cottage. It was like, you know, it was really like a room, ten feet by twelve feet, not very different from the rooms here. And for some reason, uh, before that, I had been having my meals in the hall. There were retreats going on. I was actually doing a three-month retreat, and I was doing it kind of on my own. And there were other retreats going on that were mostly, you know, a week or so. And uh, I found that when I started having the meals by myself in my little cottage, some uh, tripwire was touched that caused fear to arise. 
you know, maybe being more alone, something like that. It wasn't on a thought level. It was just happening. It was in my body primarily. There was nausea. My body was full of, it was stiff and nauseous, you know, for several days. And then uh, I had an interview with one of the teachers and he said, of the seven factors of awakening, which are not present? And I said, joy. (laughs) And he said, well, do that which brings about joy. And so I um, started eating with the other people and I went around just looking at spider webs and birds and nature and was joyful, happy, you know. Then about three days later, I talked with another teacher and I was very, I had a lot of pride about how I had with meditative tools had moved from nausea to joy, (laughs) you know. And, And she asked, what about the fear? I said, oh yeah. And, and I said, uh, and she said, maybe you want to look at that. And I said, and I think it was a morning interview, meeting with her. And I said, yes, I want to look at it. And, but I think uh, maybe, in the, maybe in the evening. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had the meal you know, with the others. Because I thought it seemed, that seemed to be like this um, major reason for things being different. So I had, had the meal. In the afternoon, I gave myself all sorts of pep talks of when the fear comes, I'm going to be a warrior and I'm just going to sit there. And you know, I, I would read a little bit to give me inspiration. And then the evening meal came and I went and, you know, with deliberate steps, went to the dining area, got my food, brought it back to my little cottage. And I sat down and waited for the nausea to come. I was willing to be with the unpleasant feeling tone. I will be there. (laughs) Nothing happened. (laughs) And nothing happened for the rest of the retreat. It was as if, you know, I interpreted it as as if if I was willing to face it, something fell away. That's something to remember. Just a few words about the neutral feeling tone and then then some suggestions of how to practice with feeling tone. A few, the neutral feeling tone is a little harder to investigate because um, there's not much drama about it. It uh, really generally means that it's in the middle part of the spectrum and it's not really arousing our attention. You know, and probably there's no such thing as a strictly neutral feeling tone. Everything's more or less in the, in the middle range. So don't go looking for a completely neutral feeling tone, but it's relatively neutral. And so um, I'll say in, in, a, in a moment how to practice with, with, with that. Uh, but but it's, it's something that we can study and really look at. And what, what is the neutral feeling tone really like? And we can actually go into it and, and work with it. So how to practice, how to practice with any of these three kinds of feeling tone. <clears throat> first, there, I'll give a, a number of practices and you can see if some of them appeal to you. A first way of practicing is to bring your attention to a pleasant or unpleasant feeling tone 
when one of those becomes strong. And to really just say feeling tone and just stay with it. When it's strong, to um, stay with the feeling tone and begin to investigate it. Much like I think Mary Grace was guiding us. Let's say there's a um, pleasant feeling tone in the body. Stay with it. What's it like? You know, if there's joy or bliss or peace, what is that like? Just really stay with it. If there's an unpleasant sensation, what is that like? What is it? Is it is the unpleasant sensation a bunch of um, darts in the body or in a particular place? Is it throbbing? Are there waves? Stay with the sensations until you can have that level of clarity. You can be interested in the, you know, in the actual sensations. Especially be on the lookout when there are strong sensations, pleasant or unpleasant, for the proliferation of craving or aversion, different forms of reactivity. Watch the thoughts that occur. Watch the emotions that occur. Really notice, in in a way, what's going on, what you're tending to do. Notice if you uh, actually start grasping or start pushing away compulsively. So notice the thoughts, notice where your mind goes, notice what you want to do, and so forth. For me, it was really um, tremendous insight. I think one of the areas that was really so fascinating was to watch how the how I didn't want to be with the unpleasant, you know. And I didn't mention it yet, but there's enormous amount of cultural conditioning to be with the pleasant and to have it all the time. I know that when I've traveled in, you know, particularly in Asia, and when I've traveled uh, in the former Soviet Union, which was actually harder, you know, than Asia in certain ways. Um, and that we're, there's, there's an extreme amount of cultural conditioning for us to have pleasant experiences. I think we know that from the way that this culture uses drugs so much to avoid anything unpleasant. You know? And it's there in all sorts of ways. You know, the way that we try to avoid um, unpleasant experiences by having poor people in certain areas or having environmental toxins go to third world countries or all sorts of things. You know, there, there are ways that we don't want to face the, the unpleasant. You know, and it's very, it's very pervasive. And so for me to, to actually be able just to be with the unpleasant and hang out there wasn't always easy, but there was a lot of insight just to see my own conditioning and to see that it was actually possible to be with the unpleasant and hang out there, to be with it, you know. The guideline we use, which I mentioned, I think, earlier, we're, we're not inviting you to be with unpleasant physical sensations where there's an injury or where staying in a certain posture might cause damage. We're primarily talking about unpleasant experiences where you can be with it and they're not really consequences on the physical level, where it's more that we're studying our conditioning and our reactivity. And a guideline that that I use often is physically, if you have a residue from sitting in a certain way, you know, half hour or an hour later, then it's good to pull pull away. 
So that's, that's an important sort of um, caveat for all this. So the, the possibility is that of having this rather spacious sense of being able to be present with the unpleasant, the pleasant, the neutral, and to sit there. There's an image in the text of unpleasant and pleasant being like uh, different kinds of winds that are there in the sky. And it's as if our own awareness is like the sky. And sometimes they're cold winds, and sometimes they're warm winds, and sometimes they're dry winds, and sometimes there are um, wet winds. And we learn just to be there with whatever's happening. This capacity to be with feeling tone <clears throat> directly leads to quite a bit of wisdom and quite a bit of equanimity. Quite a powerful practice. Here's another expression of a mature feeling tone practice. This is from Basho, a Japanese writer of haiku. And a lot of Japanese haiku are very, very good for exploring, they're very good for illustrating exploration of feeling tone. So here's one from Basho. And remember that haiku are very, very brief. So if, you, if your mind goes elsewhere, you will miss it. <laughs> okay, here's the, here's the Basho haiku. Fleas, lice, the horse pissing near my pillow. That's it. <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> okay. Hor- Fleas, lice, the horse pissing near my pillow. Now, I'm sure that haiku has been interpreted in many ways over the centuries, but... But I, I like to interpret that as a uh, as feeling tone practice because it's primarily unpleasant feeling tone, and there's I don't hear reactivity. That's the main thing. There's just a noting of what's there. It's unpleasant. We can assume it's unpleasant, but the mind doesn't move. It seems there's an ability to be with that. We can practice with neutral feeling tone by just taking for a certain period of time. It could be a 10-minute period or maybe starting there, even a three-minute period, and just say, I'm going to attend to neutral feeling tone and just see what it's like. Even right now, you can just be there. And there may, for many of us, in our bodies, it may be be somewhat neutral. And just, just be present with that, see what that's like. Another way to practice with feeling tone is to, in a given sitting, periodically check in. You know, every five or ten minutes, check in. What's the feeling tone right now? What's going on? Another way to practice uh, working with feeling tone is to actually notice it for a sustained period. You could say, I want to track feeling tone for this entire sitting. Or especially you could take that as something to do at a meal. You know, you could sit there and just say, pleasant, 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 gone, unpleasant, (laughs) you know, or whatever. You know, and you can really track it so as to stay with it and try to track it for a sitting or track it for 10 minutes and to really notice the feeling tone like that. At one point in my own practice, I I practiced just feeling tone 
just practicing with feeling tone for three days in a row. It was very, very interesting to work with that, you know, and to really um, see how that was. See where I got, um, to see where craving or attachment developed, to notice that, to really be tracking it continually, to really explore feeling tone. It was fascinating to watch. You know, I found myself in one practice, I'm not recommending this practice, but something I, I found myself doing once. One, one day I situated myself near the entrance to the dining hall and as each person came in, I assessed the feeling tone. I think we do that, right? We do that anyway. <laughs> I don't know if we mention it so much, but, but it, it's something actually when I, when I did, uh, I did a two-year psychotherapy training once and that was what we did near the beginning of the psychotherapy training. We want, they wanted to have us be able to be really alert as to our own sense of neutral, pleasant and unpleasant that would, be, that would arise with a given person. And we did that with each other in the training, you know, just to, to train us to do that. And so we're doing it with everything. It's pretty interesting. You know. Another way to practice with uh, feeling tone is to particularly notice when feeling tone arises, when it changes, when it passes away, to stay with the feeling tone, the examination of feeling tone, and see how it moves. See how it, how it passes. We can also particularly focus on when feeling tone leads to reactivity and suffering. And we can also, when we really sit back and work with feeling tone, we can really move into a sense of this just happening by itself. You know, even without there being a self who's directing it. So much of this is just happening because of past conditioning. So we can work in a sitting with any of those practices, focusing on feeling tone when it's strong, tracking it continually for a period of time, tuning into neutral feeling tone, checking in periodically just to see what's there. And I think you can see, and I want to end with this, I think you can see that in a way, this is a very fundamental practice. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that it's right at the heart of our practice. You know, that it really is something we attend to And when we attend to it, we're there right before reactivity is developing. When we attend to feeling tone, we can attend before the reactivity starts proliferating. So it's very, it's very, very important. We're doing the training here on this retreat. I think we can see from the examples that it's really, really crucial for our world. You know, we're training but so many of the conflicts of the world come about because people can't really be with the unpleasant without reacting, again, towards themselves or towards others. And so this training is actually completely crucial. The psychologist Carl Jung once said, that which we don't face in ourself, we will tend to project out, in the world, out into the world where we encounter it as demonic. 
You know, so we're doing something really important in this very simple practice of being with feeling tone. And just noticing it. I have a friend who in, who in interpersonal interactions, if something unpleasant happens, someone says something that feels mean, instead of reacting, she says, ouch. That's feeling tone practice. You know? And ultimately, we can bring that into the world. You know, that I think of the work of Gandhi and King and people who teach nonviolence. It's really about saying, we have received pain we will not pass it on through reactivity. But the cycle of reactivity stops with me. That's what this practice is. The cycles of reactivity stop here, and this is a fundamental practice that helps in that way. So I think I'll just end with the actual words of the Buddha on this practice of being with feeling tone. How does a practitioner abide contemplating feeling tone as feeling tone. Here, when feeling a pleasant feeling tone, the practitioner understands, I feel a pleasant feeling tone. When feeling an unpleasant feeling tone, one understands, I feel an unpleasant feeling tone. When feeling a neutral feeling tone, one understands, I feel a neutral feeling tone. Very simple and yet very profound. Thank you so much for your kind attention.